Welcome to Walk 3 of the Franciscan Way. In the previous walks, we focused our attention on Francis's journey to a fresh way of walking with Jesus, one of suffering and joy, and of poverty and abundance. Today we enter Claire's life more deeply. She broke the boundaries of family expectations, societal norms, and even practices in the church to walk more closely with the poor Christ. Claire longed to be more present with Jesus, which she achieved through contemplation, a kind of meditative prayer without words or a focused attention on God's presence. When you think of contemplative practices, you may think of things that only super religious people do. Perhaps you think of getting away to a quiet forest in order to achieve a peaceful state of mind and enter the divine presence. But meeting Jesus can also happen while crossing a busy campus, changing a diaper, working on a difficult project, or grieving a loss. Contemplation can be developed in a number of contexts in our lives. With practice, it can be a rich pathway toward experiencing connection and intimacy with God. Contemplation takes time to cultivate, and we can benefit from some direction and encouragement from others who have walked further down a contemplative pathway. Especially in the beginning of developing this posture of prayer, we benefit from the support of a loving community or a wise mentor sharing their experience. Today, we will learn from Claire how contemplation and community can go hand in hand. Drawing nearer to Jesus is best done with the support and encouragement of a community of like-minded followers. Before we hear more of her story and the lessons it has for us, let's pause to pay attention to our bodies and how we are entering the walk. For today's grounding exercise, we invite a friend of study abroad, Adam Peacock, who lives and serves several churches as a resource pastor in beautiful Sonoma County, California. Every step a prayer walking meditation. I believe God's design for people is to find blessing from the land where they dwell and to bring blessing to that land. Where God honoring people dwell, the land will be nurtured and prosper. Sonoma County's beauty is a gift from God, and it has been tended and kept by the people who have resided here for thousands of years. Long before those waving the flags of other places came to dwell here, the Wapo, Southern Pomo, and Coast Miwok peoples were cultivating this place that has been my home since I was a boy. One of my childhood friends now is a leader in the Kashaya Pomo tribe which had the responsibility of establishing relationship with the first non-native people to build a settlement in Sonoma County at Fort Ross. I'm grateful to be learning many things from my friend Dino, both about this land I call home and about the Kashaya people and their culture. One of my most treasured lessons from Dino is the exhortation to move across the land where every step becomes a prayer. The Kashaya's understanding of what it means to dance before God is that every step is prayer. For the Kashaya people, these steps are affirmations of life, moving forward because life moves forward to a rhythm that lives within each one of us in the cadence of our beating heart. In the Kashaya culture, those who take these steps of prayer cover their faces, not wanting to draw attention to themselves or to have their prayers be self-conscious or self-oriented. The creator who made us loves the relationship between his people and the land. Today, 
I invite you to walk in a way that every step is a prayer, affirming the goodness of this relationship between your community and the land that they dwell upon. First, if you're able, find a place where you can step aside from the trail or sidewalk for a few moments. I invite you to close your eyes as an expression of shifting your perception away from yourself. Place your right hand over your heart. This hand represents your community. There are many ways you may want to define or consider your community. Perhaps your immediate family, a friend group, your local church, student group, or some other group that you're carrying in your heart. Feel your hand against the warmth of your body. Feel your beating heart. Think of each finger on your hand as representing someone important in your life. Now, keeping your eyes closed, move your hand out in front of your chest with your palm facing away from you. Using your left hand pointer finger, you're going to begin to slowly outline your right hand as a framework for a breathing exercise. Starting where your thumb meets your wrist, breathe in deeply as you move towards the tip of your thumb. Then, as you reach the tip of your thumb, begin to exhale slowly as you move your pointer finger towards the bottom of the space between your thumb and your index finger. When you reach the trough, breathe in deeply as you begin to ascend towards the tip of your index finger. At the tip of your finger, breathe out and repeat the pattern of tracing to the trough of each finger. Breathe in as you ascend toward the tip and breathe out as you descend towards the trough between each finger, celebrating the connection among you, each finger distinct and yet one hand, one community experiencing and sharing the breath given to us by our Creator. I'll give you a little time to do this now. When you finish outlining your hand, take one more deep breath and then slowly drop each hand to your side. Now, begin to pay attention to your feet, flat on the ground. This is the place of connection for you and your community with the earth as you prepare for taking these steps of prayer. Take a moment to wiggle your toes. See this as a way of greeting the earth beneath you and around you. Then press your toes more firmly against that ground, drawing the tips of your toes slightly in towards your foot, creating the feeling of a little squeeze of the earth beneath you. If you feel up for it, you can consider taking off your shoes and socks to better feel this connection with the earth. Either way, without straining, try this earth squeeze again several times. Take another moment or two to feel your connection to the earth. Now, Open your eyes and let's begin walking again. As you walk, be conscious of the way that you are carrying your community with you and that with each footfall, you are praying that they will thrive in the land where they dwell and that the land will thrive because of their dwelling in that place. As you walk, if you see expressions of damage or abuse or strain that is impacting the life of the people in the place you are walking or of the land around you, let your steps be prayers for healing. Engage your imagination regarding how this place may become what could be described as a promised land, rich with life and cultivated towards abundance. Take the next few minutes now to walk with every step becoming a kind of prayer. 
Claire, the oldest daughter of Favarone and Ortolana di Ofiduccio, had all the earthly pleasures and material abundance that women of noble birth in the early 13th century experienced. Plenty of beautiful clothing, fine food, and leisure time. She also had physical security and a good name. Her father was a knight. Her mother was a devout woman who had gone on pilgrimage to Rome, Jerusalem, and to the shrine of St. Michael the Archangel. Together they created a safe and religious home for their family near San Rufino Cathedral in Assisi. From a young age, Claire prayed and gave money to the poor. She deeply felt the pain of the beggars and lepers she saw on the streets outside her comfortable home. Her desire to draw near to the marginalized was how she believed she might draw near to Jesus. With deep conviction, she defied her community's expectations by refusing to marry. It was a costly decision, but the call of God was drawing her heart away from social convention. God's invitation for Claire looked different than for Francis and his brotherhood. The men could spend hours and even days alone in the caves on Mount Sabasio as a response to the contemplative invitation into silence and solitude with Jesus. However, for Claire and other women who were inspired by the way of Francis, solitude was not a possibility. Given the social norms for women of that day, Claire had to find ways to pray with people always around her. But to fully realize God's radical invitation for her life, she had to leave home. On the evening of Palm Sunday, March 17, 1212, Claire, along with her cousin Pacifica, snuck out of the family home, leaving through a hidden door and wound through the streets of Assisi to the woods below where Francis was waiting at the small chapel of St. Mary's of the Angels. Francis and his community had been living there for several years, serving the poor, singing, praying, and working with their hands. In the chapel, Claire's delicate jewels and clothes were removed and replaced with a beggar's robe. Then, the crown of her head was shaved in the manner of the Franciscans. Finally, she knelt at the altar and committed her life to follow Jesus through the practice of poverty. Jesus had a close friend who would have found a kindred spirit in Claire. Her name was Mary of Bethany, and her stories are found in the accounts of Jesus by both Luke and John. Throughout this walk, we will explore the ways Claire and Mary's lives are intertwined across time and place. One evening, Mary and her sister Martha hosted Jesus and his disciples for a dinner. In the hustle and bustle of preparations, Mary found herself at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, rather than preparing the meal and setting the table with her sister. She couldn't help it. It was as if she could do nothing else but sit and listen. She wanted to be near her friend and teacher Jesus and hear what he had to say. This was not a typical thing for a woman. She knew that. 
It was a man's place to receive a rabbi's teaching. Every man in the room seemed a little confused, maybe even angry, about her presence at Jesus' feet. But she didn't care. It felt like the right place to be. Before long, Martha came into the room clearly upset. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Mary felt her face flush. But then Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Shock rippled through the room. It wasn't just Martha and the disciples who felt the shock of Jesus's words. It's possible that Mary did too. After all, Martha was right. She had left her sister to do the work alone. On the other hand, Jesus blessed Mary to be in a place that was traditionally assigned to men. She was meant to be at his feet all along, even if it meant temporarily disappointing her sister and confusing the others. Maybe you found it difficult to take time at the feet of Jesus. Our busy lives make it hard to break away. Things have to get done, important things, good things, work or family or ministry things. Carving out time for sitting at Jesus' feet? How unproductive. Even when we want to make time to be with Jesus, we still live in a culture that fills our lives with noise. Too much information, trying to keep up with social media, tasks, expectations, the fear of missing out, and media literally engineered to keep our eyes on a screen forever. Yet, here you are, walking, and carving out time with Jesus. I invite you to reflect on how Claire and Mary's bold, boundary-breaking decisions can inspire you in your own desire to draw nearer to Jesus. When we come back from this brief time of silence, we'll take a few more minutes to simply be with God through our practice of a walking breath prayer. Here are two questions you may want to consider. What barriers or challenges make contemplation and stillness difficult to sustain? Are there personal or communal expectations that make it hard for you to sit with Jesus? Friends, I hope this short time of walking in quietness with Jesus was a gift to you. 
no matter your current situation, God wants to be with you. Even if life for you is busy or overwhelming. Let's continue a little longer to simply be with Jesus by returning to our breath prayer practice. Today, we will let the words of Psalm 84 guide us. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. So as you walk, I invite you to first notice your pace, your stride. Create a sense of rhythm, of breathing, and walking together. Next, I invite you to turn a phrase from the psalm into a prayer aligned with your breathing and pace. Breathe in. Blessed are those. Hold at the top for a pace or two. Then breathe out who dwell in your house. You might find it easier to pray in rhythm with your breath or your steps. Find a way that feels comfortable and right to you. Let's try it again. Breathe in. Blessed are those. Breathe out, who dwell in your house. In, blessed are those. Out, who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Continue another few minutes as a way to draw closer to the feet of Jesus and simply feel his welcome. As always, you can pause the audio if you wanna linger with this practice a little longer.
When Francis started rebuilding the walls of San Damiano, the chapel where he heard God's call to rebuild the church, he did so for a future community of women. It would be a quiet place where they could be with Jesus. Claire arrived in San Damiano at the age of 18 after leaving her family home. She would remain there for the rest of her life. For Claire's community, Everything happened within the grounds of San Damiano, a practice called cloistering. The women rarely ventured outside the premises save to do limited ministry among the poor. They prayed and worshiped and shared the ordinary tasks of life together. The holy and the mundane were intertwined and shared in community. They encouraged each other's contemplation in all these things. Today, the practice of cloistering might seem extreme. Yet in the 13th century, it mirrored how women stayed out of public spheres and within their own communities for safety. In a convent, these women could choose a community fully devoted to Jesus. To organize this community, Claire undertook the task of writing a rule Historically, monastic communities developed these rules or guidelines for how they would structure their life together. A key element of Claire's rule was to eliminate hierarchies so that all sisters were on the same level, even the abbess, the manager of the cloister. In the history of monastic orders, this egalitarian structure was a first. However, Men who led the church continued to reject Claire's rule, insisting that this new order adopt an established rule, like that of the Benedictines or the brand new Franciscans. But Claire refused, explaining to the bishops that God had called them to live in a unique way. For decades, Claire had to fight fiercely to have the rule for her community recognized by the bishops she eventually pleaded her case to the Pope. On her deathbed, she prevailed, and the Pope traveled to San Damiano to bless and seal the poor Claire's rule. Claire also included in her rule the importance of living a life of chosen poverty, their care and provision wholly dependent on the generosity of Franciscan friars. They set up these communities of poor Clares and Franciscan friars to be interconnected from the start because they believed that this was the best way to make their mission of prayer and devotion to Jesus possible. Clare is an inspiration to everyone, men and women, not only for her personal example of surrendered devotion to Jesus, but also for her courageous leadership that was willing to challenge the dominant power dynamics of her time 
to protect a community's desire to define itself and follow Jesus according to their convictions. In Claire's mind and practice, contemplation was always bound together with community. Likewise, the invitation God has for us to create space for stillness, to draw near and hear his voice, doesn't mean that we must do it alone. The worst had happened. Lazarus, their brother, was dead. And Jesus wasn't there. He hadn't made it in time to heal him. And when they had heard he was close, Martha rose to go out and meet him on the road into town. Mary stayed behind, surrounded by friends who wept and cried out with her in grief. She felt too upset to be near him. Why did he delay, she thought, as she watched Martha rush out the door. Not much later, Martha came back. While those in the house wailed, Martha pulled her sister aside. The teacher is here, and he is asking for you, she said, pulling Mary to her feet. Even though she was grieving, she didn't want to meet Jesus. Martha led her, along with a troop of mourners, to Jesus who was waiting just outside. Mary immediately fell at his feet, crying out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus looked around at the weeping crowd. He was deeply moved. His voice was low when he asked, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus cried. Jesus did more than show empathy or compassion for grief. Jesus entered Mary's grief. This time, Mary needed Martha to bring her to Jesus. She needed to remember that in the middle of her grief, she had a beautifully safe relationship with Jesus. Surrounded by her community, Mary took the risk of vulnerably confronting Jesus, not knowing how he would respond. Because of Martha's effort to bring her sister to Jesus, Mary was reunited with the Savior who weeps, a Savior that did not feel far off, but was brought near and could bring resurrection life to those who were dead. Claire knew what Martha and Mary knew. She developed a community who could regularly bring one another to the feet of Jesus for an intimate moment with him, especially when life felt too difficult to bear. Remember that you are walking right now with many others who are listening and participating in this guide. As you walk, imagine yourself on the way to meet with Jesus, surrounded by a loving community. What are you grieving? What loss is in your life at this time?
what makes you cry out, Jesus, if you'd only been here, this wouldn't have happened. Is there a person or community that can sit with you in this grief, bringing you to the feet of Jesus? Who can you sit with in their grief? If this walk is bringing up overwhelming feelings, please reach out to a trusted friend or even a counselor. My name is Esther Chu, and I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship here in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm Will Chu, and I also work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We have been married for almost nine years and have been trying to have a child for eight of those years. It has been a long, painful journey filled with cycles of hope and disappointment, weeping, and more doctor's visits than we care to count. After another year of unsuccessful procedures and the reality of our aging bodies, we started to consider the possibility that perhaps, like many before us, we may have to watch a dream die. The death of a dream is a strange thing. Like with any death, grief and mourning are necessary. Yet because it is a dream and not a person, it remains largely unseen and rather misunderstood. People who have not experienced it will, with the best intentions, try to comfort with encouraging words and suggestions, yet often they don't know what to say or how to help. Like any grief, the emotions will come and go, yet small triggers can add up to an overflow of tears later. In April of 2022, after participating in the previous versions of Via Divina, we had the privilege of walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain with a group of people who started as strangers and ended as dear friends. Each morning, our group would read a psalm together, and then we'd practice breath prayer as we walked in silence for the next hour. On one particular day, the psalm that we read was Psalm 121, and the breath prayer that we prayed was, He will not let my feet slip. He will not let my feet slip. Yet I struggled with the Lord as I walked. I asked him, 
How can this verse be true? My foot had very literally slipped just a few days ago, and I had skinned my knee. He will not let my feet slip. I asked God, how can this be true? One of the first times we found out that a procedure didn't work was on the same day a friend announced her third pregnancy. He will not let my feet slip. I asked him, how can this be true? When almost exactly a year ago, we found out yet again that a procedure didn't work. It was the same day that my niece was born. Isn't that letting my feet slip? Isn't that pain upon pain? Do you really care, Lord? As I was struggling with the Lord and walking, I suddenly noticed some other pilgrims in a nearby field looking at a tree. Will happened to be walking in silence just a few steps behind me, so together we went into the field to get a closer look. From afar, the tree was a paradox. It had fallen over in a wide open field of grass, and I had presumed it was dead. Yet the top half of the branches was flourishing. Beautiful pink flowers had come to life, and I thought to myself, that's not possible. Dead, yet alive? As we examined the tree and its surroundings, we noticed that most of the roots had been uprooted, except for one. This singular root was clinging tightly onto the soil and dirt, allowing a part of the tree to stay alive and even flower. I also noticed the abundance of animal droppings nearby, which probably nourished and fertilized the ground. It was then that God dropped a phrase that I've been clinging onto since I returned. There is waste but nothing is wasted in God's kingdom economy. I walked out of the field in tears that day because I knew in my spirit that the Lord was answering my struggle-filled questions with this tree. Esther, I felt him say, I will cling tight to you and keep giving you life even though you have been knocked down. Esther, I was reminded, I have provided you with community that nourishes you. Remember the dozens of people praying with you? Remember the numerous texts of support that you received each time you went in for a procedure? Remember the community who helped carry both the hope and the pain with you? Even if sometimes their words or suggestions smell more like droppings than flowers, yet did they not nourish you? Even now, is there not a community that is walking this very pilgrimage with you? Esther, I will make you like that tree, fallen yet flowering, broken yet a bearer of hope. This may be the beginning of an end of a dream for us as prospective biological parents, yet we cling on to the hope that Jesus gives through the imagery of a tree in Spain. As I reflect upon the tree, I couldn't help but think about the tree upon which Jesus died, and we leave you with this scripture from Philippians 3.10. We, we want, want to know Christ, Christ to, to know the, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. A part of us may have dreams end like the bottom half of the tree, yet there is resurrection life in the midst of death 
and new beginnings in the midst of endings that Jesus invites us to cling on to. As Martha prepared the celebration meal, she remembered Jesus' words to her just days before. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She smiled as she stood there in the kitchen, stirring the stew. She did believe, now more than ever. In the next room, Jesus reclined as the guest of honor at the dining table, while her once-dead brother reclined with him, laughing and chatting. Martha served the meal again, this time less frustrated at how much Mary was or was not helping. Toward the end of the meal, Mary went into a room and retrieved a jar she'd set aside for the right occasion. It was pure nard a perfume of the highest quality made from the roots of a faraway land. Its fragrance was known for filling up a space, displaying the high importance of the wearer. This belongs to the Lord who raises the dead to life, she thought to herself. Mary went out to the dining room and sat at Jesus' feet again. The men at the table went silent as they all knew that Mary's boldness to approach Jesus at the table fellowship was not permitted. But Jesus looked down at her and smiled again. So Mary lost no time and broke open the jar and completely emptied it over his feet. The fragrance instantly filled the room. It was rich and sweet. Then she felt compelled to use her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. The memory of this moment would stay with her for a long time. She thought about all the different moments she had spent at his feet. Every moment dignified, every moment loved, every moment worth it. She loved her friend and rabbi. A man who could bring the dead to life loved her, and wanted to be near her. All the stories she heard, all the stories he told, made her want to pledge all of her devotion to him. Pouring out a year's worth of wages may seem as foolish as leaving your family and a promise of financial security for a simple monastic life. But both Claire and Mary knew this one thing about their Lord. To be at his feet is worth any sacrifice. Claire's choice to spend her life within the walls and among the courtyards of San Damiano was the richest decision she could make. Sitting with her community of friends in Christ's presence daily, practicing together solitude and poverty, Claire's life was rich indeed. 
Claire and Mary were women marked by their great devotion to draw near to Jesus. And in choosing to be near him, their lives and stories have brought many near to him as well. It was a perfume that enveloped Assisi. How might Jesus be inviting you to make space for this type of contemplation and community? Do you have your own cloister, a community of people who invite you to come to Jesus regularly? After years at Damiano, spending time sitting in front of the crucifix, the same cross Francis sat before when he heard Christ say, go and rebuild my church, Claire came to understand that the crucifix, the poor Christ, could be used as a mirror. The time alone, even in the midst of all the other sisters, allowed God to speak to her soul. She wrote this in a letter to Agnes of Prague, a woman she mentored. Happy, indeed, is she to whom it is given to share this sacred banquet, to cling with all her heart to him, whose beauty all the heavenly hosts admire unceasingly, whose love inflames our love, whose contemplation is our refreshment, whose graciousness is our joy, whose gentleness fills us to overflowing, whose remembrance brings a gentle light, whose fragrance will revive the dead, whose glorious vision will be the happiness of all the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. And as much as this vision is the splendor of eternal glory, the brilliance of eternal light, and the mirror without blemish. Look upon that mirror each day, O Queen and Spouse of Jesus Christ, and continually study your face within it, so that you may adorn yourself within and without the beautiful robes, and cover yourself with the flowers and garments of all the virtues, as becomes the daughter 
and most chaste bride of the Most High King. Indeed, blessed poverty, holy humility, and ineffable charity are reflected in that mirror as, with the grace of God, you can contemplate them throughout the entire mirror.